Good morning, everyone. It really is great to be together this morning. Thank you. Can I just say thank you so much for giving so generously this morning? I am always bowled over. I mean this. I, I, I think the people of God are incredible when it comes to generosity of heart, generosity of spirit, and generosity of finance. And I, one of our um, values as a church is that we want to be those who go over and above board when it comes to generosity. It's not just a case of we want to meet a certain target. We want to be those who, who declare the grace of God through our generosity. And I really believe that the people of God are meant to set the way when it comes to generous hearts in this world. We demonstrate the kingdom of God, and I believe that's what we're to do. So thank you so much. If you'd like to turn to Daniel chapter 9, we are going to get going. I, I love Daniel chapter 9. I think it is just an incredibly encouraging and exciting um, chapter in the Bible. So please find that, and I'm going to pray, and we'll get going. Father, thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you, Lord, that we can only be generous because you're a God who is generous. Without your generosity, we really don't know what generosity means. And we thank you that your generosity is your giving of yourself. Your giving of your best, your giving of your son, even to death on a cross. That you might win a people for yourself who love you from their heart. And we say, thank you, Lord. That is what you've done. You've won our hearts. You've won our desire, our attention, our affection. Our lives belong to you. We once were a slave to sin, but now we're a slave to Christ Jesus. And we say, we desire you. We hunger for you. We hunger your kingdom come and your name be glorified in and through our lives. And, and so just as we come into Daniel chapter 9, I pray that through this morning, we would encounter afresh your grace and mercy. I pray that you would, you would breathe on us by your breath, holy God, as we look at this most amazing scripture so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say, would you come and would you, would you help bring these words, these living words, alive in our life? May they be true. May they shape us and, and shape the contours of our life. May they go right to the heart and penetrate who we are as your people loved by you. And, and we pray that, Holy Spirit, this is a work of you. Thank you, Lord. Your word is living and alive and powerful. But nonetheless, we need you, Holy Spirit. And I pray for each one here this morning listening. I pray that you would speak. You would open ears and eyes that we might behold the majesty of God again afresh today. Amen. Daniel chapter 9 is a, a, an amazing chapter in the heart of this apocalyptic section of Daniel. It's this amazing... Um, it's not really an interlude, but it's an insight into Daniel's life. It's an insight into God's perspective of who Daniel is. And we've kind of got used to, to these narrative stories, these amazing stories where God gets hold of Daniel in the first half and his friends. And then God gives visions to um, various kings and rulers. And as we come into the second half, we've kind of got used to this. And another vision came and another vision came. And then in chapter 9, we come to a different point in the story where we find that Daniel is reading the scriptures. He is reading the scriptures that he has at that time. He's reading Jeremiah the prophet. And, it's in, and so we have Daniel gets a vision. Daniel gets another vision. Daniel is reading the scriptures. 
And he begins to pray over what he reads in the scriptures. And I just feel like this morning, as we, as we um, come to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's attention is caught by God on the promises and purposes of God in his generation. And as we come into Daniel chapter 9, can I ask that our ears would be so open to the Holy Spirit that he would have the freedom in your heart, mind, and life to catch your attention again. That we would not be deaf, dead Christians in our generation. That think, come on, I want good news for me this morning, something that makes my life better. No, we're to give ourselves to the purposes of God. When we receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, we die to ourselves and we now live for him and his glory. And I think Daniel models here what it means to be somebody who understands that they live for the glory of God. So Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah. And in the prophet Jeremiah, he, he comes across and he, and he realizes again that God has promised that the land of Jerusalem, remember the, the Israelites, the Jewish people have been taken into captivity in Babylon. That's the setting of the, the context of the book of Daniel. And Daniel comes across the scripture and he, and he, and he remembers this promise that the Jewish people, sorry, that Jerusalem would have to lie desolate for 70 years. That was a promise that God gave through the prophet Jeremiah. For their, for, because of Israel's sin, rebellion, their disobedience, that their hearts weren't towards God, that they were um, doing idol worship and living life in their own eyes as to what they thought was right and wrong. And they kind of sidelined God from their community. This is the people of God. And because of that, Israel had been taken from their own land into captivity. And Daniel's reading, this will last for 70 years. And he's doing the maths. And he says, hey, we're in the 69th year. We're at the end of this period of captivity. At this point in the story, in, in history, in the historical timeline, Babylon has now fallen. We're into a new kingdom. And Daniel is looking at this and he's saying, wow, we, we're at that moment we're at that moment when, when this 70 years period is up. And far from Daniel going, yes, this is great news. Good God, come on, get us back in our own land. He begins to ponder and think through what does this mean? What has this been about? And rather than just doing this great, just one more year to go, God will get us back there. He, he realizes that he needs to pray. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that when we come to the promises of God in the Bible, they are not there that we just go, oh good, God is going to do it then. God is faithful to keep his promises. But what Daniel does here is he gets hold of a promise of God and he begins to pray it into being. That's what, that's what the promises of God are there for, is that we pray them into being. That we take hold of the promises of God in our life, in our community, for this world. And we say, God, this is what you have promised. And you are faithful and you are able. Therefore, we will give ourselves to what you're doing. We'll work together with you to see your promises come true. It's a great way to pray. Not, God, would you help me with this? God, would you help me with that? God, I've got this thing going on. And sure, we can pray God is interested in the detail of our life. Of course, by all means, go to your heavenly Father who loves you. He loves the detail of your life. But if you really want to pray and see things move and shift, we need to get hold of the promises of God and say, God, would you, would you be faithful to your word? And so this is where we find Daniel. Exile is almost up. 
And that's the start of Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to read from verse 4. It says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. So in response to discovering the 70 years is almost up, Daniel prays to the Lord and confesses. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He starts his prayer with adoration. God, you are awesome. You're faithful. You keep your promises. You're a promise-keeping God. You're a faithful God. This, this pattern of prayer that Daniel goes with is much like when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Hey, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This sense of, I'm coming to a holy God. Yes, he's a father who loves me, and I can just run to him into his presence, but let's not become overly matey with God. He is a holy God. And he deserves to be worshipped and adored by his people, that we stand in awe of who he is. He's not, just, he's not simply my mate, he is God Almighty. And that's where Daniel starts. God, you're awesome. And then he begins to confess. Listen to this, verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with the shame. With shame, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you. Daniel saying, God, we are far from you. We're here in captivity, away from Jerusalem because of our unfaithfulness. It's put distance, literally it's put distance between you and us. Just a sideline, maybe one day you'd like to read through the Bible and look at the people of God and literally physical distance from God. Just as a theme, how far are the people? How far are their hearts? How far are they in physical space from God? It's just interesting, I think. Verse 8, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Verse 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. So what's going on here is Daniel is saying, God, we have rebelled against you. Our hearts are far from you. And just as you promised through your prophets, through the law, that disaster would befall your people if we did that. And you have remained faithful. 
And Daniel isn't complaining at what God has done. He's saying, no, you're a faithful God. This is a righteous, just act on your part, oh God. He's not complaining at God's treatment of his people. So often, we are quick to complain at the way God treats us. But Daniel isn't doing that here. He's saying, your, your judgments are right. They're just and true. And Daniel says, here's the issue. We've not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought us, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned and we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those all around us. Just for a moment, I I feel God wants to, just right now, Daniel's confessing sin here. I'm just so aware in our churches, even in our style of churches, we can often forget this vital element of what it means to be the people of God. That he has called us to confess sin. We love grace. We love the incredible grace of God, yet Jesus asks us to confess our sin. Can we be those who don't take God lightly at his word? We are not merely just here loving God, saying, hey, life is great. We are to, we are to be holy because God is holy. We are to seek to live righteous lives because we want to honor God with all of our life. And confession of sin is a key part of the Christian life. And we look at confession of sin in a different light to Daniel. He was in the Old Testament. We look at it through the lens of Jesus now on the cross. But nonetheless, we are to be those who confess our sin. I think sometimes we think we encounter the gospel. We love the good news of Jesus, this this free grace, this free salvation that's found in Christ alone. And we say, that's amazing. I like it. I've repented, and now I live for Jesus. And, and sometimes I think we, if we're in danger as God's people of being a bit like Israel. Well, we're the people of God because we go to church. And yet, oftentimes, I think our hearts can be far from him. And we say, well, I can kind of do whatever I want because God's a God of grace, and it doesn't really matter. No, he's a God of holiness and mercy and grace. And it is not, hey, I've encountered Jesus, now I do whatever I want. It's, I encountered Jesus, oh God, I've been cut to the heart because of my sin, my disobedience and rebellion against you. But your grace is so incredible that you have set me free from that. You've set me free from the, the wages of sin, which is death. You've given me life and life eternal. And because you're a God of amazing grace, I'm going to go and tell my friends, my family. I'm going to go and seek forgiveness from people who I've wronged and say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I made a mistake, but God is a God of grace and, and he's forgiven me. And so I want to come and forgive you and seek forgiveness because I want to demonstrate to you what God is like with my life. And I just feel just reading those scriptures that God wants us to be a people who don't take him lightly, who, who just say, well, grace is amazing. Therefore, whatever goes. No, not at all. Grace is amazing, therefore it should drive us to holiness. Let's not cheapen it in our day. And I just believe that there are some here this morning who, who are walking in life who, who say, I know I've encountered Jesus, 
I know I've been forgiven my sin, but for you this morning, there is an element of saying, I need to confess my sin. I've, I've, I've had Jesus as this very matey mate of mine. And I forget that he is a holy, awesome God. Just, I feel like God wants to get our attention with that this morning as we come to pray in just a moment. Verse 17, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look, on, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. For we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Listen, Lord. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Just wonder if you've ever thought of this, that, that when... Israel was taken out from Jerusalem and put into captivity. Their name was dashed on the rocks. But so too was God's name. Even in that moment, God willingly said, hey, my people, I'm going I'm to make a mockery of them. But so too God's name became a mocking name in the nations around. Also, it turns out that Israel, your God, Yahweh, is just like every other God. He's unable to keep you in your own land. He's unable to protect you. We thought yours was the mighty God that delivered you from the hand of Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh. Turns out he's just the same impotent God as every other God that there is. God made his name a mocking. It was mocked at this point in his story. This should concern us. It concerns Daniel. Oh God, for your name. Oh God, for your glory. Oh God, because of your reputation. Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, that's Jerusalem and the temple. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, he's appeared again, the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. It's it's fascinating that Daniel has lived in Babylon for virtually his whole life. Yet at the time of the evening sacrifices, the sacrificial system has been, hasn't happened for 50 years yet. Daniel, even though he's in Babylon, he's not living by Babylon's time frame. He's still living on the time frame of God's people. His life is still shaped by, hey, this is how the people of God work. This is, he's not saying, hey, this is the rhythm of Babylon. Okay, this is how I live life. He's saying, no, God's people live a different tempo, a different, tempo, a different rhythm of life. Just, just an interesting little insert there. Verse 22, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And here's where we get a fun bit. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. 
But in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who come, sorry, who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and, dis- and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Wow, the 77 is in Daniel chapter 9. I, I just want to touch on the 77s. We are not going into detail. I, there are many commentaries written. I've read a lot of commentators on Daniel chapter 9 about this 77s. And to put it quite simply, most people seem to disagree with each other over what the 77s are and how we're to understand them. And to be quite honest, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how we're to handle them, except that this is apocalyptic-type writing. And as we said last week, and when Nigel was preaching in Daniel chapter 7, it's symbolic language. And I believe that we're meant to come to these times and dates and, and not understand them as times and dates, but to understand them as a symbolic language of what God is doing. And here's the, here's the story. Daniel realizes that 70 years is almost up, so he's praying, God, God, the, the issue is here, not that your people are out of the land, and would you, would you please get your people back in the land, but that your people's hearts are still far from you, even after this 70-year period. We still haven't made it to repenting. We still think it's the land that's the issue, when in fact it's our hearts that are far from you that's the issue. When is this going to be restored? When is something going to happen about this? And Gabriel comes and he, and he says to Daniel, I'm going to give you insight and understanding. It's not, in fact, 70 years that's the issue. It's not, in fact, the people returning to the promised land that's really the issue. There's a much deeper thing going on here. And it's not 70 years, it's 77. Does that ring any bells to anybody in the New Testament? Matthew 18. When... Jesus is talking about forgiving, and then Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother when he sins against you? Seven times? And Peter at that moment thought he was being incredibly generous in spirit. In Jewish thought, if you forgive somebody three times, it means you've really forgiven them, and and you've really shown them forgiveness. So Peter's kind of going one better, as Peter does, and he says, God, seven times? And Jesus says, no, not, not seven, 77 times. Fully completely. You you give and forgive and you forgive without keeping record. You don't kind of say, well, I've forgiven you 16 times. I am a good friend of yours. No, you, you don't keep record. You don't keep rights and wrongs of people. You forgive without ceasing because God is a God who forgives without ceasing. He doesn't keep a record. He keeps a record of sin, but for those who are in Christ, it's been dealt with and he doesn't hold sin against you anymore. And it echoes, and Jesus has taken this same thing that's happening here in Daniel, and he's saying, look, Israel, you thought it was about the 70 years. Daniel, you thought it was about the 70 years and and me bringing people back into the land. But Daniel, what I want to show you, what I want to give you insight and understanding into, it's not the 70, it's the the 77s. It's that I'm, 
Yes, I'm a God who can restore you, but I'm not just after bringing you out from occupation back into your own land. It's not a political issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, and I, I've got so much more purpose for you than merely giving you a piece of land where you're not occupied by foreign powers. I want to bring you out from spiritual slavery to sin, sickness, Seth, Seth, death, and Satan. That's what God is doing. He's saying it's not about captivity with Babylon or captivity with the Medes and Persians or with Rome. It's about the fact that you are captive to sin. And I want to free you from that. I want to bring my anointed one who will come and set you free from sin, from the big players, from the things that really keep you in bondage. And God is speaking to Daniel and he's saying, here's what's going on. And when we come to the Gospels, we have to understand that this, this thing of occupation of Israel, of Jerusalem, of the promised land, was the backdrop of, of Jewish thinking at the time. So for much of Jewish history, from the exile right through to when Jesus came, Jerusalem was under occupation by foreign powers. Apart from a tiny point in time, just a few short years, when Antiochus Epiphanes that we mentioned the other week, when he was removed from power, bar a few short years after that, Israel was under occupation. And they were waiting for a Messiah who would come and liberate them from their occupiers, from the foreign powers, and reestablish Worship and, and the kingdom and the temple in all of its fullness. That was the Jewish expectation, expectation of Messiah who would set them free from political oppression. But Jesus comes, doesn't he? And he says, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom's from another. My kingdom's from heaven. It isn't merely political issues. It's a spiritual heart issue. And I love this bit. Where Daniel, two things. I love this bit where Daniel pleads to God. He says, God, it's about your name, and therefore, God, would you move, but not based on our righteousness. Not because we've done anything good. Not because we deserve you to move, but be, God, because of who you are. Because of your righteousness, because of your mercy, your love, for your name, for your sake. Oh, God, would you incline your ear for your temple, your people? I just wonder if we care about the name of God. If we actually care about how we display the name of God. Or whether we live our life and worship God because we care about our name. We can so absorb the spirit of the age if we're not careful. And we can just Christianize it. We can Facebook church if we're not careful. We're to care about the name of God deeply. I'm going to finish with this, and I want us to pray and to seek God, to pray for one another. I think this this appearing of Gabriel to Daniel is one of the most incredibly encouraging, uplifting, exciting, motivating verses in all of Scripture as to why we should pray. And that it should build a confidence in the power of prayer for us. Listen to this. Daniel says, verse 20. Whilst I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to God for his holy hill, while I was still speaking, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in my vision, came to me in swift flight. 
he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding instructed, sorry, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you, Daniel, began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you. Daniel's praying. He's seen a promise of God and he's beginning to pray. He's beginning to pray, pray through and pray into the promise of God. Hey, how do I know if I'm praying in the will of God? Well, a good place to start is pray the promises of God. It's what Daniel's doing here. And Gabriel says, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out from heaven. So many of us really do not believe in the power of prayer, which is why our prayer lives are mediocre, anemic things. We don't believe that prayer works. We, we want an immediate, God, would you immediately break this thing off me that's got control over my life? God, immediately I want my sickness, my suffering to be dealt with. God, immediately I want maturity in faith. It, it seems to me, and I think it's pretty true in the Bible, that we need a, th- a theology that isn't an immediate theology. It's a world that we live in. I'm not surprised we think like that. If you want it, you can have it even today. You can order on Amazon. It could be with you definitely tomorrow morning, even before seven, well, by 7 a.m. And if you live in the right part of the country, you can even have it this afternoon. You, you don't have to wait. If you want it, you don't have to save up for it. Just get it on finance. Buy now, pay later. And I think we've absorbed some of the spirit of the age into our Christian life. And we say, God, immediately, please. I've got this situation and it's kind of a hassle for me. Immediately, please. But when we come to God as his people and we pray and we say, God, look, here's your promise. This is what's happening. I'm seeing, I'm seeing this on earth, but I'm seeing, I've seen your promise from heaven. And we pray, immediately a word went out from heaven. That should massively encourage us and motivate us to pray that as we pray, heaven responds. Hey, it might not happen in your lifetime, the results. You might never see the impact of it. It might happen immediately. But as soon as the people of God begin to raise their voices in prayer and cry out to God, God, you have promised and you are faithful, heaven responds. So when it comes to, you, you mean that we can really see transformation? We can really, we can really see unreached people groups, the gospel take root and open up as we pray for them? Are we really expecting God to bring transformation in Burundi? It's such a mess. Hey, as we pray, a word goes out from heaven. We should be those who are eager to pray. Get hold of the promises of God and pray. And then listen to this. Verse 23, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed, Daniel. You are highly esteemed. The, there's other translations. That's the NIV. The ESV translation of the Bible says deeply loved, which is a, a better um, rendering of what's going on there. The, I just did a word study, and the word deeply loved is a Hebrew word, hamudot. And it apparently occurs nine times in the Old Testament. And it means, its, it's meaning is something like preciousness. Daniel, you are preciousness to God. A word went out because you are preciousness. You are deeply loved. And the root, the root word of hamadot is hamad, which is used when God is giving Moses the, the Ten Commandments. And he says, do not covet, do not hamad. 
And so this deeply loved, in one sense, conveys a a deep desire for, a deep longing for, a, a love of, a hunger for. So God, in this scripture, Gabriel saying, hey, Daniel, in the eyes of heaven, you are deeply loved. You are coveted. You are prized. You are esteemed. You are, God, God loves you. He sees you as preciousness. And I feel that's a word that we need to hear again in our generation, in our church age. It's to say in all the noise of everything that is going on in society around us, Christian, you do not have to worry You do not have to be concerned, is the end now or not now? Hey, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has appointed. It's not, oh gosh, look, there was a couple more earthquakes this year. It looks like Jesus is about to return next week. It's not, oh yeah, five more wars this year. I reckon he's just around the corner. No, Jesus is just around the corner. But it isn't for us to know the times and seasons, Matthew 24. That's not our concern. Our concern is, in spite of whatever is going on, to live faithful lives to a faithful God. Lives of obedience and holiness that we stand out like stars shining in the night sky of this world that we live in. That people look and see this, the, the night sky, the, the darkness of life, and go, wow, the, the, stars, the sky is ablaze with the glory of God and his saints. You are loved. You are coveted. You are prized. You're deeply loved by your heavenly father. It's a word that we need to hear. Can we stand? I wonder if the band can come back on the stage. I just wonder for a moment if You'd be willing just to lift your hands before God. We so want to jump to the, the clues, the, the when is it going to happen? The 77s, what does this mean? What it means is God is doing so much more than merely restoring a piece of land. He's winning a people for himself. Daniel, I want to bring you insight and understanding. It isn't just about... A people in a place. It's about a people's hearts. I wonder where your heart is in relation to God this morning. You can be here, yet your heart be very, very far. You can say, I'm a follower of Jesus, yet your heart be very far from him. I just invite you this morning to be serious with God again. To receive Jesus afresh as Lord and Saviour. And for some here, that will mean, that will mean, do you know, even right now as I was talking about confession earlier, God's beginning to highlight areas of life where there's unrepentance, unconfessed sin. And I just want to say this to you, you haven't got to get fearful, but, but those areas of life can begin to, in our minds, become strongholds. As we've said through this series, we have an enemy who loves to rob us of our joy in Christ. And maybe this morning you, you need to repent afresh before God. There's areas of life that, where you haven't given Jesus permission. Listen, before God, there are no no-go areas. He has permission to every access, every area of life. Maybe you need to go and put a relationship with somebody You need to put it right with somebody here in the body this morning. Go and ask them to forgive you.
go and say sorry. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's somebody at work or somebody in your family. And God's saying, I want you to, I want you to commit before me right now to promise in your heart that you will do all you can to seek forgiveness and restoration of relationship. Do you know, our, our, our thinking can become such a stronghold. Does God really love me? Maybe because I put some money in the offering and I kind of upped it a little bit this morning beyond what I was thinking. Well, maybe God loves me a bit more. No, no, no. He loves you. He so loved you that he gave you his best, his son, even to death on a cross. He can't love you anymore. He loves you. The love of God has been shed abroad on his people. And you are coveted. You are deeply loved this morning, saint. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that that our lives would be encountering you and your grace and mercy again, but not in a way that is, is, is just a, yeah, whatever, but in a way that drives us to holiness and deeper love and intimacy with you, awesome God, maker of heaven and earth, God most high, Yahweh. Just for a, a few moments, can I, as a band, just lead us in worship? Can I encourage you just to be before God for a few moments? Let the Holy Spirit come, examine your hearts. I'd love us to, this morning, share communion, but to do it, you before God. That we have a time of reflection and we look at our hearts and we examine our hearts. Say, God, do I, do I revere your name? Do I treat you as holy and awesome? Or is it just like my mate? And if there's areas of sin where you need to ask God for forgiveness, before you go and take bread and wine, can I ask you to, to please put that right with God? He's a holy God. Paul, when he's talking about sharing in the Lord's Supper, which is what we do with the bread and juice, he, he, he warns believers about doing, taking this meal lightly and saying, oh, whatever, I'll just... It doesn't really matter. He warns them and he says, no, you've, you've drunk judgment on yourselves. Even illness and, and some have even fallen asleep. They've died because they've, they've taken this meal without a care. Without, they've forgotten the holiness of God. And I, I, I don't mean this to be heavy. The thing is, as we, as we draw near to God and, and, and revere him in his holiness and awesomeness. And yes, he says, I am a loving father to you. I love you. And as we understand that the holy God who we could never approach before because of our sin and rebellion, now a way has been made through Christ Jesus that we can draw near. And now God is our father. We've been adopted into his household. As we get hold of that afresh, as we're serious with sin and serious about the purposes of God, as we get hold of his promises and pray them into being, faith ignites in the people of God. That looks like the the people of God who are serious about him. So can I just, as a band lead us, please for a few moments, don't rush to take communion. This, this juice and this bread that, that represents the body and blood of Jesus. That he gave his life for us as a ransom, even to death on a cross. And when we, when we take this meal, we remember Jesus' sacrifice. And we remember that we are hammered and hammered out, That we are coveted and deeply loved. That we are preciousness, that we are, we are so precious to God that he even gave his son for us. Not because of our righteousness, 
Nobody can boast before God. It's not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. And I pray that as we share communion, that, that our faith in our heavenly father, who is God almighty, is fueled afresh this morning. And that the breath of God would come and fill you afresh this morning. That the spirit of God would come and would cause living water to, to, to flow from deep within you. That's the promise of Jesus. That your walk with Jesus would no longer be anemic, Christian. Come on, let's just do this for a few minutes and then have a freedom to cross the room, to pray for one another, to go and to build one another up in faith. Come on, this is what we do. We bless one another. Let's go for it.